We are listening to the IBSI podcast. I'm Gaia Lamperti, and today I'm joined by David Messenger, CEO of Lian Lian Global. Hello, David, and thank you for joining us. Hi, good morning, Gaia. Nice to talk with you. David, let's kick off by offering to our listeners an overview of Lian Lian Global and what you guys do in the payments sector. Sure. So Lian Lian Global is a global fintech, and what we focus on is really helping businesses, particularly small to medium businesses, take advantage of international growth opportunities uh, through e-commerce. And uh, companies, China-born, but now we operate around the world, UK, Europe, US, all of Southeast Asia, Brazil, and continue to expand. Our focus is really to build the best global business payments network. If you're a small to medium business trying to operate in other countries, very challenging to open bank accounts, manage your funds, multiple currencies, FX, all the associated payments needs you have. And we provide a platform that makes that incredibly simple, real-time cross-border settlement, ability to manage your funds through a global multi-currency wallet. And then we really look to go beyond that. Our, Our mission is to help our customers grow their business. So as well as the payments which we provide, we look to find the best-in-class service providers for logistics, for marketing tools, for operational needs they have, and integrate them into our platform so that, again, we make it simple, we help our customers save time and money and focus on growing their business. It sounds absolutely great. Thank you, David. And as you were mentioning, the company was born out of China, and China is still one of the major countries where you operate. So today, we would like to focus on the challenges of cross-border payments, basically remittances coming in and out of the country, from the point of view of Lianyan Global. Maybe we could start by giving a bit of context on how should we understand the current Chinese emphasis on new regulations and their enforcement across multiple sectors, but including the financial services. Yeah, there's been a lot of news, obviously, recently about regulatory changes in China. And I think when you're not familiar with China, it can be very hard to make sense of what seem very significant and rapid shifts. Once you actually, if you really know China and uh, the way China's market has evolved, it actually makes a lot more sense. Um, Because when you look at the Chinese economy, it has grown at China speed. Things happen in China incredibly fast. You've had the rise of huge platforms like Didi, Alibaba, Tencent, others, and it has been explosive. And what is now happening is that the regulators are also operating at China's speed, and they've allowed the economy to develop very rapidly, created great value for the you know, for the people, but also for the companies. And now they're looking to bring that economy in line with regulatory goals that are basically pretty similar to the goals regulators have in other countries. So from a financial regulation point of view, they care about financial stability. They care about ensuring there is obviously high levels of compliance in terms of KYC, money laundering. They care about anti-monopolistic behavior or anti-competitive behavior. Um, just like they do in the US and in Europe. So they're making changes to address these issues. And a lot of these are really similar to the goals regulators have in other countries. There are some that are more complex in China. When it comes to payments in and out of China, the big difference is the capital controls. And so there is a much higher regulatory burden if you're moving money in and particularly out of China in terms of demonstrating this is legitimate business funds flowing and meeting the regulatory standard. 
So there are some complexities there. The other area where there is complexity is around data privacy and security. And when you look at data privacy and the recent regulations, they're very similar to GDPR, which people are very familiar with in Europe. Uh, The US is starting to move in that direction as well. And so I think there's a lot of commonality there. The area that is more complex is data security, and particularly the movement of data out of China is a concern to the Chinese regulators and government. And, you know, new regulations have come out. All businesses are going to have to adapt to those and recognize that this is part of the landscape of doing business in China or with China. And so you really need to have, if you want to be in China, you need to have the right partner who understands the new regulations, understands how to operate in China, which is possible. Um, There are some extra complexities, but it is still possible. And China is a great market. Certainly, we've seen post-COVID that there's a lot more interest in companies around the world wanting access to the Chinese market. Very large, middle class, strong, stable economy relative to many other countries in the world. And it is a great time to look to access that market. But you've got to understand the complexities. You can't assume things are going to be like they are in Europe or in the US. Absolutely. And I imagine, especially now that we are living through the digital shift, China is paving the way in this sense. So I I see why so many markets, so many companies are actually interested in engaging with the country. But what does this regulatory crackdown mean, particularly, I'd say, for the medium and small businesses who want to operate in China? and how they can sort of like face and deal with all the regulatory challenges that we have been mentioning before. Yeah, so I think if you're, uh, again, I'll separate this, if you're a fintech versus just a general company looking to sell your goods and services in China. If you're looking to sell goods and services in China, uh, you really, you know, two things. One, you've got to understand how to sell in China. And I think most companies find you've got to find a strong local partner who can help you navigate those complexities. There are great opportunities, and you know, consumers in China have developed uh, a taste for foreign brands and foreign goods and perceive them as being high quality. But you need someone who can help you with that go-to-market side. And secondly, as I mentioned, moving funds out of China is heavily regulated. So you need a Chinese payments company, a fintech, working with the banks is possible, but obviously it is a challenging process. If you're a small business in Europe trying to find a Chinese bank uh, that can support you and deal with the complexities of opening an account in China, largely infeasible for small to medium businesses. So you need you know, a company, a fintech, you know, likely anything global, where we have both domestic licenses in China, we have the cross-border certification to do all the regulatory filings, and we have the licenses around the world to provide that end-to-end solution, which is all managed by one partner, because then you can really manage the risk, you can ensure the reliability of your payments partner, and frankly, you can get better service, get access to your funds faster and at lower cost. Sure. And do you have any use cases or success stories of Yandian global approach and, and strategy that you'd like to share? We started working with Chinese companies looking to expand overseas through e-commerce, and that's been our kind of core focus. And now we're taking the lessons learned from supporting hundreds of thousands of those businesses to support European small businesses who want to sell not just to China, to the US, to Japan, to Korea, to different markets. And the key success, I think, what I just mentioned is really because we've invested in building out 
that global business payments network, end-to-end license, end-to-end coverage. We partner with tier one global banks like Citibank and Deutsche Bank as our banking partners. That sort of investment in building the long-term platform for growth has been a huge success. And it does mean you know, we can provide, as I said, real-time access to your funds. If you sell on a marketplace like Amazon in the US, you can have your funds in a few seconds and have complete confidence in the reliability of your payment support. Now we're also seeing increasingly uh, there are companies coming into China and they're looking for a partner who can support them. So we now work with Airbnb for their both domestic China business and also their cross-border business. And the key thing being that they recognize is they need to maintain the right compliance standards. And that's where we're uniquely placed because of our relationships and our licenses, both in China, cross-border and overseas, to provide that really robust compliance uh, infrastructure to companies looking to access China. Absolutely. And one question that came to my mind just now, leapfrogging to a few years in future and looking at in China particularly, what would be the impact and which role a company like Lianlian Global will have in a scenario where CBDCs become, you know, the day-by-day transaction method? Yeah, CBDCs are very much in the news now. And obviously China is uh, leading the world in terms of the rollout of its CBDC called DCEP. And so we're actively uh, involved in that process and the rollout. They've already, uh, I think, through July had done over $5 billion worth of transactions. So this is gaining momentum, you know, initially domestically, there are some test cases being looked at for cross-border flows. That I think is going to take longer. I think most central banks now are engaged in their own view on CBDCs and rolling that out. I think they're going to be cautious about it. You know, the PBOC in China, they started this in 2014. So this is seven years later, we're seeing this start to gain momentum. So I think CBDCs, when you look, maybe not two to three years, but five years out, are going to be a significant factor. And they do offer some significant benefits uh, in terms of real-time transactions, in terms of visibility. I think the most significant benefits they offer actually to the government in terms of providing, you know, the key thing is they are programmable money. So thinking of what happened in COVID, this is where the government can direct their stimulus to particular people to use the funds in certain ways or within certain times. So there is huge value in terms of governments haven't been able to direct their monetary policy and their stimulus or other programs in a much more effective way. So there is a lot of potential there. When you compare it to the traditional corresponding banking network, there's huge advantage on cross-border settlement. People talk about this real-time settlement across borders, which obviously is a huge improvement on waiting maybe four or five days and not knowing exactly how much you're going to get at the end of the corresponding banking network. That's maybe not the right comparison, though. As I said, we do real-time settlement today, and so there is e-money today. So there are ways to get a lot of the private company, the business benefits, today through e-money. And that's kind of very much where we're focused. I think CBDCs will roll out, um, and particularly domestically, they will have significant impact. When it comes to cross-border flows, uh, I think there are a couple of things. One is the market is going to change faster than CBDCs roll out. 
And we see that today with e-money. We see it with stable coins. And I think these are the things that are going to provide the transition to uh, CBDCs. And I think the second issue is then going to be how do you build that mechanism to connect uh, different CBDCs? And you know there are different schools of thought on that. There is certainly the possibility you could have regional or even you know more global agreements amongst central banks as to how they would do that. I think that's you know likely to be challenging in reality. Getting agreement around central banks around exactly how that should operate, which CBDCs can participate. And I think there's a very high likelihood we will see the business side, the banking and fintech side, actually build those cross-border mechanisms uh, to support CBDCs, which is really how the FX markets work today. These are driven by the banks and the fintechs in terms of providing those cross-border solutions rather than central bank to central bank. And I think we're going to see a lot of innovation in that space amongst banks and fintechs like ourselves, and it'll be an evolution. But my view would be the big impact is going to be domestically, certainly in the short term for CBDCs. And on the cross-border side, I think the political challenges, the governance challenges around central banks collaborating around a certainly a global structure for integrating CBDCs is going to prove a real challenge. And I think that's where private businesses, banks and fintechs will step forward and look for ways to facilitate. Again, this is all within the regulations set by the different central banks and collaboration with the central banks. But I think it's going to be an area we're going to be very focused on a lot of innovation over the next three to four years. That's brilliant. Yes, I do agree that fintechs will will probably facilitate finding that common ground needed. Um, I have one last curiosity. What does Lian Lian mean? I imagine it comes from the Chinese language, but maybe it could give you some more insights into, into the company and the value proposition. Yeah, so it actually means connect, connect. And that is that is our goal. I mean, our goal is to connect businesses around the world and you know that's uh, been the motto of the company for a long time is you know connect the world serve merchants globally so uh, you know our goal is to really help small to medium businesses participate in the global opportunities large companies can do that easily we look to really drive much better financial inclusion and connect small to medium businesses with those opportunities Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, David. Insightful conversation. I'm really glad we had you on the podcast and I hope to get in touch soon again. Many thanks. Guy. Pleasure talking with you.